The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take uh, them and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking primarily at verses 1 to 3 this morning. This last week we had uh, in our nation the first Thursday of May is recognized every year as a national day of prayer. And this year's theme I thought was very appropriate for where we are as a culture. The theme that was cast out there this year was the theme of unity. And I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I have never sensed that in our nation, in our culture, in our homes, that that we seem to be uh, at more disunity, divided than at any other time that I can ever remember. You know, it used to be that we may have opposing ideas, but it seems that the, the disunity has grown to so much that we're afraid to even express ideas today without being labeled as an enemy in that sense. And not only do I see that there's disunity within our White House, within the Senate House and the, the Congress, uh, we see disunity in the courthouse among the courts now. Uh, We see disunity in homes. Your home may be in disunity right now where husband and wife are, they may exist in the same household, but there seems to be a vast disunity and a tearing down there where uh, children and their parents seem to be uh, not unified at all. There's division within the home. And unfortunately, we see that Somehow that influence of disunity within our culture, I believe, has affected and infected the body of Christ, the church, to a great extent. And when I say the church, I'm not necessarily speaking of our local church. But when you look at the church in the community and the area and across, there seems to be that there has been incredible disunity that has taken place there. And that's not surprising at all because the fact is we have an adversary. We have an enemy and his name is Satan. We have the devil who is doing everything he can to sow disunity in homes, to sow disunity in our nation, to sow disunity in the body of Christ. And we have to recognize that he is real And he's not some figment of our imagination, but he is working in a sense over time to do everything that he can to cause disunity. Jesus said himself that a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? And so if I were your enemy, I would do everything that I could to come in and try to divide and conquer so that I might get you off the same page where you're skirmishing with one another. And to me, I can sit back and the battle is won. In this letter to Ephesians, Paul writes here in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, himself being a prisoner of the Lord, he's writing to these believers and he tells them, he says, I want to urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now what he's saying is, listen, I want to urge you that you live your life, your everyday life in a manner, in a way that is worthy or that demonstrates the fact that you have not only been called, but you have been saved and you have been transformed by the work of Christ in your heart. 
Now, oftentimes we think of walking in a manner that's worthy of His name. We think of all the external things that we would do. We know the right language within the church. We know the right way to conduct ourselves. We know the right air to put on. But it goes far deeper than just the outward things. Because Paul specifically speaks here to this walking in a manner that's worthy of his name, to that idea of unity. But there are heart conditions that he speaks of in the next verse that tell us that he is not just speaking of external things, but he's talking about those things that are internally, that are within us. You might say our attitudes or our heart is what he's talking about. Look what he says in verse, 20, in verse 2. He says, walk with all humility and gentleness and patience. Now, when we think of humility, oftentimes we think of humility as somebody that walks around just with their head low and, and somebody gives them a, a compliment and says, my, you look good today. No, really, I'm ugly, you know. Uh, that there's that humility. But humility in the Bible just simply means having a very honest assessment of where we are in reflection or in relation to a holy God. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we recognize that in light of God's holiness and who He is, we know that we are mere man or mere human, and we have a lot of cracks and flaws in our lives. Anybody say amen to that? He says, walk in all humility. In other words, just be honest with God and honest with with others of who you really are. And the fact is that we're all together striving for the same thing, desiring to be changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. And it's His work in us that does that. And He says, walk in humility. And then He says, walk in gentleness. And I see a connection here. Because where there's the attitude of humility that we have, there is going to be an expression of gentleness, patience with those around us, right? And so he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. I kind of chuckled at this part of the verse this week when I was looking at it. And I thought, you know what? It's easy to have patience, and it's easy uh, to, to bear with one another in love in short bursts at a time. Right? But it's quite another thing to bear with one another in love when we are living in community, not only in the body of Christ, but in community at large. You see, I recognize that I can't live in this kind of love apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in my life. Because every day I get up and I find that there's somebody or some group that's just irritating the snot out of me. Are you... Is it okay to say snot in church? And and I have to recognize that and say, God, change my heart, change my mind. I want the mind of Christ, but I can't do that on my own. You've got to work that in me so that I might bear with one another in love. And then he says this in verse 3. And this is directly related to walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling that he's called us to. He says, be eager. And when he says eager, it means Just what it says. (laughs) Be eager. There's a desire that I can't wait to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice he doesn't say start 
unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. But he says, maintain the unity by the spirit and the bond of peace. You see, what's happened to all of us when we came to know Christ and we said, yes, I want to be a Christ follower, and we trusted Christ for our salvation, He has unified us as the body of Christ where He has baptized us into the body by the Spirit. And so we all have the Holy Spirit of God in us and by the Holy Spirit, the love of God that has been poured out in our hearts by God, Romans chapter 5. And so He says, do everything, be eager to maintain unity in the Spirit of God. You see, we have an adversary who is doing everything he can to try to thwart the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 before he was going to go to the cross. You remember towards the end of his ministry, he's there praying, we call it the great high priest prayer of Jesus, John chapter 17. And the theme of that prayer that Jesus prays to the Father is that basically, Father, I've I've completed what you sent me to do. Now for those that you have given me, those who have become the body of Christ, I pray, God, my earnest prayer, three times Jesus says, I pray that they might be one as we are one. Second time, Father, I pray that they might be one as we are one. The third time, Father, I pray that they might be one as we are one. And Jesus is praying that there would be unity in the body of Christ. You see, Satan desires to break down that unity, to cause division. Paul, in the same letter, writes about this adversary that we have in Ephesians chapter 6. And he tells us, he warns us, he exhorts us, listen, stand against the schemes of the devil. If you have the old King James Version, it says, stand against the wiles of the devil. Because he's a schemer. And can I clue you in on something this morning? He he doesn't have new schemes. He's got old schemes that he's had for millennial. And one of his schemes is to try to bring division, to try to bring separation. He knows that you and I as part of the body of Christ, we've come to trust Christ. He knows that's a done deal. We're saved. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ. And what he's going to try to do is disarm the body of Christ so that We can't get on with the mission that He's called us to by creating disunity within the body. He says, beware of the schemes of the devil. He goes on to say that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Is he when your little sister's irritating you? Remember, it's not flesh and blood you're wrestling against, right? I tried that on Sandy the other day and she said, don't give me that excuse. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
And you might be here this morning and you kind of discount this whole battle that's going on in the heavenlies. But listen, the Bible is very clear that when the enemy, Satan, rebelled against God, that not only was he cast, but a third of all the heavenlies were cast out with him. And they're his little agents, they're his authority, they're his power structure that's doing everything he can. To keep some lost and to keep those who are saved from getting on with the mission. He is real. Amen? Now we have to be careful. It's not that we look behind every bush to try to find one. But you don't have to live very long to realize that there are powers at work that are evil and demonic and Satan himself. And you see, I'm afraid that some of what's taken place in our culture, we as the body of Christ, have allowed some of those divisions that are in our culture to impact us and affect us in such a way that we've played right into the enemy's hands and that division has taken place within the body of Christ, within areas and with communities, so that we are no longer united in the mission that God has called us to. Let me give you an example. Just week before, or last week, I was talking with a person in town that I had met, and we, we were on completely different political spectrums. And I'm not going to tell you which one I'm on, because some of you will hate me if I do. Right? Thank you. But I had to be careful. Because this other person that I was speaking to is a born-again believer. They've trusted Christ just like I have. But I recognize that some of our views are very different. Now, there was a time when I said, man, if you have that kind of view, you must not be a Christian. Listen, that's wrong. I, I know there's probably some offense being taken right now. That's okay. But what I had to recognize and realize that I cannot allow the enemy to cause my views to affect and infect my witness as a fellow brother in Christ to a lost community that is dying to see us get on the same page with something, right? You see, my message to, to believers is don't be duped by the enemy's tactics to try to cause you to divide in these other areas and have it impact and affect your effectiveness for the kingdom of God with the mission that he's called us to be a part of. The thing that we understand and need to understand as the body of Christ is that our battle is not to be there to debate the issues. God has called us to be a reconciling factor to a world that's lost. First, that we might have a message, and that we might have the only message, that we might deliver to a lost world that first reconciles them to a God who is dying for them to be saved. You see, God has reconciled us to Him. 
Some of us don't understand that when we, or before we came to know Christ, the Bible tells us that we were enemies of God. And the Bible tells us that it's not that God made us His enemy, but we became His enemy in our rebellion against Him. But Paul is very clear when he writes in the book of Romans in the fifth chapter, he says this to us. He says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Do we see what took place here? That while we were enemies of God, God took the initiative by providing terms of peace for us so that we might be reconciled to God. And the terms of peace that He offered for us was His sinless Son who shed His blood and was sacrificed to be an atonement for our sin. What that tells me that Man, if I am called to be a reconciler, then it behooves me to offer something so that the other might hear the message of reconciliation that God has given to us to deliver. He says, shall we be saved by this, by His life? More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation we will not be able to reconcile a separated world until we recognize and realize that the world first needs to be reconciled to God and God has made a provision for that and that's through the blood of Jesus later in the book of 2 Corinthians Paul writes to us and he tells us That now that we have been reconciled to God, He has now given to us a ministry and a message of reconciliation. If you're here this morning and you're like, you've been praying, God, I don't know what ministry to be involved in. Here's one for you. That every believer has been called and given the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to what Paul says. He says in verse 13, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, and He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What has He given us? This is where you respond. He's given us the ministry of what? Of reconciliation. You know what that means to you and I? That means that everywhere that God has placed us in our life, He has commissioned us and given us the ministry and wants to use us in the ministry of reconciling others to Him. You see, you thought you were in school to get an education. As a believer, God's placed you in that place in your school so that you might carry out the ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't mean you can't do your homework or you shouldn't do your homework. You do that. And He's given you the ministry of reconciliation in the campus where you are. Where's your vocation? Where do you work? You're not there for a paycheck. Paycheck's nice. But God's placed you there 
so that He might use you in the ministry of reconciliation. Because there are those who work with you there who do not know God, have not been reconciled to Him, and God's placed you there so that you might not only have the ministry, but you've been given the message of reconciliation. Isn't that exciting? He goes on to say in this verse, that that is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Does that blow your mind that God Almighty has entrusted to us the message and the ministry of reconciliation? Look around you. Our God, I'd find, a, I'd find a different group than us folks, right? But He's entrusted to us that ministry and that message of reconciliation. And He says, therefore, in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And so God has given to us that message of reconciliation. And it's through that message of reconciliation that lost people are reconciled to God. And in that, the natural result of that is that people will be reconciled to one another. Government is not going to bring reconciliation. Agencies are not going to bring reconciliation. Organizations are not going to bring reconciliation. They can be instruments of that. But listen, the only thing that can bring reconciliation is the person of Jesus Christ because He shed His blood so that we might have reconciliation with one another. Paul writes this back in Ephesians in chapter 2. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In context, what Paul is talking about is that dividing wall that once divided Jews and Gentiles. Do we have any Jew, Jewish descended folks here this morning? Okay, then we're all Gentiles. Every one of us are Gentiles. And that division, that wall that separated us, from Jews, God's chosen people, that has torn down that wall and now has made it available or made a way so that we can be a part of God's family, has been brought down by the blood of Christ. And so now Jews and Gentiles are reconciled in that. And it goes way beyond that, that it's the blood of Christ and it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the message of reconciliation that God is able to bring those walls down. You see, God's called us to a ministry of reconciliation. The second thing we need to recognize as a body of Christ, that if we are going to be a part of bringing unity within the body of Christ, Bringing unity within the culture and the place that God has called us is that within the body of Christ, we have to be united in the motivation that He's given to us in order to bring unity. Several months ago, I got with one of the local pastors, and uh, I'll tell you his name, Dave, Dave Benson. He's a pastor at Conyers First Methodist, and I'd reached out to Dave just to try to get to know him and 
and make a connection with him because I, my history in Rockdale County goes a long way. And I, I know one of the things in Rockdale County is that there has always seemed to be this division among the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And as I met with Dave and, and we began to talk and share our hearts, we, we realized that we both kind of had the same desire that we believe that God had placed on our hearts for the community not only of Rockdale County and Conyers, but of the surrounding counties. And we believed that God was doing something to stir this desire for cooperation and unity among the body of Christ. As we were talking that day, we, we had the idea that, that we wanted to begin to find like-minded ministry leaders in the community, pastors, that would have the same heart and mind just to see what God might do through it. Laying aside any differences that we might have on the non-essentials. You know, I've kind of, kind of believed that, that when, when we're in desperation, when there are times of desperation, we do desperate things, Right? And we recognize that within our community that we are desperate, that, that the body of Christ is waning in its influence in our culture. That the mission of the body of Christ seems to be diminishing, and it's almost as if we're losing ground rather than gaining ground. And I'm not talking in numbers and big buildings, but I'm talking in people coming to know Christ and being disciples of Jesus. And so as we began to share this with other pastors and talk to them, we formulated a time where we get together on Tuesday mornings now just to have coffee. Uh, church talk is off the table. Does that make sense? We don't talk about church incorporated. But we felt as, as leaders within the community, we needed to first to break down those barriers that seem to divide us to find common ground that unites us and that one thing that was a common ground was that we are saved by grace, through faith, through the blood of Jesus and by no other means. The gospel. And we recognize that the motivation that we need to have in this is purely, number one, a motivation to love God and be obedient with all of our hearts to what He's called us as a body of Christ to do. To love God. The second one was that we need to display the love of Christ to a very divided community. We began pondering the question when Jesus gave the great command, love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, the question came, who is my neighbor? And we asked the question, what if Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor, he meant love your next door neighbor? We challenged one another. We began to ask questions, how many of your neighbors do you know? And I said, well, I know, I know Linda. She's a member of the church. She's a neighbor. I know Ron. I know my daughter. They live in my neighborhood. I know my son-in-law. That's another story. No, just kidding, Brian. <laughs> but how many of my neighbors do I really know? 
And he was in the same situation. He said, you know, I've been in the neighborhood for five years, and I only know one of my neighbors. And I said, well, you know what? It's time for us to begin to know our neighbors and love our neighbors with no other motivation except to love our neighbor. And I said, you know what? We've got to be clear about this. The motivation is not to evangelize our neighbor. Don't get in a ruffle over that statement. Evangelism will come. Doors will open if we begin to love our neighbors. And so he set out around us and said, okay, you've got until this time to love, to get to know your neighbor, just so that when they're passing by, you even know their name. Later, you'll know their wife, you'll know their kids. Just show that you care. Love them, regardless of who they are. The motivation has to be love. Lastly, we thought about this. We said, you know, the other thing, we need to be unified in mission. As we discuss it further, we said, what what is the mission that God's given to us as a body of Christ? Is the mission to, to clothe the naked? Is the mission to feed the poor? On and on and on and on. And we, we concluded, you know, that's, that's, that's not the mission. That comes out of the motivation to love. But the mission is that God desires for us to display His grace. To be His grace agent to all people. Meaning that the same grace that we have received from God, the same grace not only at salvation that we receive from God, but the same grace that you and I experience every stinking minute of the day. God wants us to display that grace to a lost world, to all people. And in that, we feel, believe that the mission that Jesus has given us, not only to display His grace, but to win them to Jesus, to make followers of Christ of them, to make disciples of them, invest our lives in them, so that they too then can be sent to go and make followers of Jesus. And y'all, I I can't tell you, I have never seen in our community what I'm beginning to see just among the pastors. And I have great hope. God is doing something, it seems, in our community that I have never seen Him do before. And I don't think that, it's, that He hasn't been willing. I think that we have not been willing to respond to the voice of God. Laying aside those differences, not being in competition with one another... A couple, few, not too long ago, there was a lady that came to our house. I love her to death. She's a good friend of ours. And she came to visit. Every time she comes to visit, she likes to tell me how I need to rearrange the furniture in my house. You need to put this picture there. You need to get rid of that. The color doesn't match. You know, the couch would be better over here. Finally, I said to her, you know, I love you to death. But do not come to my house telling me how to arrange furniture in my house. 
And I promise you, I won't go into your house and tell you how to rearrange the furniture in your house. You see, in the body of Christ, in our community, all of our houses are arranged in different manners. Is, is this communicating? I'm not going to go down the street and tell them how to arrange their furniture in their house. We lay those things aside so that we can get about the mission that God has called us to do. Where do we start? Well, in my life a few months ago, the thing that the Lord really put on my heart was that I need to begin praying and asking God to revive me. So for months now, my biggest prayer has been, God, revive me. And you know what? As I've been asking God to revive me, I'm beginning to see some stuff there that I don't like. And I haven't been able to get past that prayer of God to revive me because I want to pray that God revives the whole church, that God revives the community, but I'm realizing there's stuff here that I've allowed the enemy to place there that has caused division in my heart and my mind. I'm praying, God, revive me. Give me the mind of Christ. So you ask where you need to start this morning, I would say that's a good starting place. God, revive me. And let me warn you, you begin praying that, he's going to show you some ugly stuff. But boy, it's so sweet when he starts to deal with it. And we allow him to do that in our hearts. Father, we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.